Welcome back to A Truth Universally Acknowledged with me, Harriet Minter. This is the podcast where we admit that secretly all of us want to be a commercially successful writer of a certain age who takes a spontaneous trip to Scotland, falls in love with a castle and a laird, and taps into the true soul of her creativity while dressed head to toe in tartan. What? I can't be the only one working my way through Netflix's Christmas films, can I? Coming up on this week's show, I meet debut author Nikki May, whose first book is not only a brilliant exploration of the more dangerous side of female friendship, but whose writer life I very much want to steal. We talk about the joy of writing your first book and the horror of your second, why Sex and the City was her inspiration and how her own background and experiences helped shape the book. Mahala is out in January and it's such a fun thriller of a book. I fell in love with all the characters, but particularly Ronka, whose taste in men is horrifyingly similar to my own. Plus, if you're in need of a little creativity booster, then this week's comes courtesy of Elizabeth Gilbert. And no, you don't have to leave your house to do it, but if you wanted to eat some pasta and send up a little prayer as you go, that would be quite okay with me. Firstly, let's have an accountability check-in. Yes, this is the beginning of the show where I get really honest with you about what I have and haven't achieved this week. And well, you might have noticed that I've, I've sort of been in hiding from my writing for a few weeks now. Done my creativity boosters and found a few words here and there, but my routine of writing each morning has gone out of the window. I'm putting this down to dark mornings, but when I look at it, I think there's something else going on as well. So when I went on my writer's retreat, we did a workshop on plot and its importance. Um, And the tutor asked us how many of us had ever got halfway through a book and then run out of things to write. And I and a few others put up our hands and he said, well, that's because you didn't plot it thoroughly enough. Which is quite an annoying thing for somebody to say because you think you have done a lot of plotting. But actually, I think he might have had a point, certainly with this one, um, because I feel a bit lost with the book right now. Not like I don't know where it's going, because I sort of do know where it's going, but like I feel like there isn't enough to get it there, not enough to make it interesting. Um, So I made a commitment that this month I'm going to go back to plot. So I'm going to work through the exercises that the fabulous Adele Park set out in her episode. If you haven't had a listen, it's like a plotting workshop in itself. It's so good. Um, So I'm going to work my way through Adele's points. And by the end of the month, I will have a full plot and not be worrying about it. Um, That's my promise to you. We'll see how we get on. One of the things I have learnt about plotting, though, is that you don't have to get it right first time. When Nikki May began writing her book, Wahala, she had an idea of the plot, but in the first draft only really got part of the way there. It was all in the rewrite. As a first-time writer herself, she had so much good advice for someone going through the process. Here she is. This week's guest is, I think, I don't know, but I hope going to be a kindred soul because I feel like she is close enough to where I am right now to know all of the joy of it and all of the horror of it and to be able to give me some really amazing advice. Her first book is due out in January 2022. It is the brilliant Wahala. It just captured me from basically the first page and I was hooked the whole way through. I read it, I think in a weekend, I couldn't put it down. It's the fabulous Nikki May. Hello, Nikki. Hi, Harriet. Good to be here. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. So Wahala is a book about, I think, 
primarily female friendship. There's also a fabulous sub-theme of daddy issues, which I really enjoyed. We don't talk about women's daddy issues enough, definitely, I think. But it's about three mixed-race friends living in London, Ronke, Simi and Boo, two cultures, Nigerian and English, and then one day, Isabel, who is a childhood friend of Simi's, comes in and just the presence of somebody new into the group shatters the relationships and brings all these dark secrets to the fore and it's it's really gorgeous and just gooey and exciting and I loved it and also there is the best twist right at the end which I did not see coming and I loved um so <laughs> Nikki first of all tell me it's your first book how did you know this was the book, the one you were going to commit the time and effort to make happen. How did you know this was going to be your first book? I think the truth is I didn't know how hard writing a book was. I think <laughs> I've always wanted to write a book and I thought when I've got the time and when work doesn't get in the way, I shall do it. And I always knew that my characters would be people like me. So I've got, I'm half mixed race, I'm half Nigerian, I'm half British. I straddle two cultures and love both of them. And I wanted to read about people like me, people whose lives mix a gussy stew and roast dinners. <laughs> and one day I went to this Nigerian restaurant for lunch in London with some friends who share my heritage. And as I got on a slow train, because I live in Dorset, so it's a very slow train, lots of writing time, I sort of code switched out of Nigerian me into English me. And I started doodling and literally had created the three characters and the first scene by the time I got home. And I can't say I knew this was going to be the book or the I was going to invest myself in. But the next morning I woke up and told my husband about Ronke, Simi and Boo. And they just became real. They became these real people that I just had to write about. So I kept writing. I did a tiny course, a six-week course with Curtis Brown. And mm -hmm. in those six weeks, I wrote three chapters. And the story literally poured out of me. There was not as much plot at the time. So I read it back and it was just this sort of lots of girls going to lunch a lot, drinking a lot, going to <laughs> wine bars a lot. And the other thing I realised is as well as having characters like me, I wanted their lives to be a bit more interesting than mine, which is where I thought we need something epic. And I, the kind of books I like to read are page turners that keep you yeah. going as well as being character driven. So I really thought, write the kind of book you want to read, went back and sort of added a lot of drama into it. Well, Hallow means trouble. And it was that kind of give these women trouble as much as you can. And so I don't know if at any point I knew this was going to be the one book because you just sort of get on with it and make it as best you can. I love the kind of that idea that actually you don't have to know it's right. right? You can just enjoy it and you can kind of fall in love with the characters and see where it goes. But I also love that you went back and you were like, this is great, but I just want you to have more glamorous lives and way more trouble. So here we go. And <laughs> Somebody told me that this idea of actually just saying, well, what if this happens? And what if they do do this? And what if they do do this? Because in the book, your characters are doing something in every chapter. Something is moving along in every chapter. I think I've worked in advertising all my life so you sort of in an advertising you have to tell a story in such a short period of time and an advert's 30 seconds and you have this whole story so I think that helped in that I thought about cliff edges all the time 
I think the other thing that helped is I didn't know much about genre. The more you learn about writing, the harder it is to write. So start by trying to know as little as possible. And then you don't know which rules you're breaking because you don't know the rules were there. But I do think, and a lot of writing is in the editing. So there are lots of chopped up bits of book where really nothing happened that end up on the floor in the bin, even though you love them. But I do think if you sort of, I think when you read it back, if you see to yourself, we need you want the you want the reader to think oh my god what's she going to do i think it also helps if you really know your characters i had a character spreadsheet that was taller than me i knew every i knew when they wow. first walked i knew their first dance i you know things that i would never use their inside leg measurements their favorite color <laughs> and if you know your characters really well then i think you know what can you do to make their lives hell because it's different hell for each woman <laughs> and you've got to make sure you give each woman the right kind of hell and that it's sort of I hope credible do you have a favorite, you have a favorite oh, that's really difficult I mean everybody Ronke is the obvious favorite but I have She's to be funny. honest and and say Simi's I think Simi's closest to me. <laughs> I dropped out of medical school, so I have a bit of that okay. Simi thing. So I think Simi's. I think Simi's the most, and I also have that imposter syndrome. Although doesn't every woman? Yeah. So I think yeah. Simi is probably my favourite. Yeah, she's great. She's super cool, Simi. I also loved Boo because I felt poor old Boo just like <laughs> continually just made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. <laughs> And she has the and perfect been, life. I mean, I want Didier. I want life. this devoted French husband. I want her kitchen. I want those wooden floors. And I want her beautiful, <laughs> precocious daughter. But yes, she was. But I think the thing with Boo, at least the way I saw it, is a lot of people, a lot of mixed race people have this sense of not belonging. And you can end yeah. up adapting so much to try and fit in. And I know I did it when I was in advertising in my 20s. I straightened my hair because that's what I thought I should look like. I tweaked my name because yeah. Nikki's not really my name. It's a shortened version of my unpronounceable Nigerian name. So I think it's for Boo in some ways is she's disconnected herself from her. She's blend adapted so much that she's not quite sure who she is, which is why I think Isabel could come in and sort of spur her on to stupidity <laughs> which she does beautifully I wanted to ask you about kind of you said you know I wanted to write about people like me I wanted to see me and my friends in these books and one of the things that I really loved when reading the book is um the kind the language you use so because you have these characters who are mixed race they have two cultures you hear the language of both cultures the words kind of interflow between them which is really beautiful and I know if, when I was reading it, the person it reminded me of is Marion Keyes, who does the same thing with Irish. So she uses a lot of Irish idiom and a lot of kind of Irish words. And I remember um, an interview she gave where she said, you know, when she first did that, she was concerned. She thought, you know, people are going to feel alienated from the book and from the characters because I've done this. And actually, I think it was the thing that makes everybody love them because they feel yes. so real. Did you have that concern when you were writing the book? 
I did have the concern that it wouldn't get published because of these things. So even the yeah. name Wahala, I thought they're never going to call it Wahala. Nobody knows what Wahala means except me and yeah. my half Nigerian yeah. friends and people who I talk to. But people didn't have that problem. It was fine to be called Wahala. It was fine to have. There was a couple of things I went through with my editors where they said, we need to explain who Fela Kuti is because no one will know. And I'm like, no way. Fela Kuti is Elvis Presley in West Africa. You know, I'm no way am I explaining who Fela Kuti is. Google is your friend. If you don't know, go and find <laughs> out. And I also think maybe because I read really widely. So I've read books that are set in India. I've read books set all over the place. And I find it wonderful to find out new words and new people and find what is so, so major in another culture that I'd never heard of. So I do think we should not underestimate readers. Also, sometimes you don't need to know what something means. If it's written in the right context, you know, you might not know what a gussy stew is, but it's a stew. And if you really want to know, you'd go and find out. Well, that was actually, I was going to say, that was the thing that I did, which was, um, so Ronke loves to cook and she's always cooking oh. these amazing, you know, fabulous dishes. And so I was there Googling. I was like, oh, what's she, what she cooking now? Because I was like, this is, you're brought into somebody else's world. And that's the joy, surely, of reading, right? That's the joy yeah, of reading is you get totally. to experience somebody else's life. And I also think, as not just with reading, but I think as a society, we're becoming more accepting that other people's lives are different and it's up to us to sort of educate ourselves. So I really love the fact that if I was 20 in advertising now, I probably wouldn't have to change my name because Morenike wouldn't yeah. be the most unpronounceable thing that, oh God, I can't say it. People are, I think people are, and I think that's huge progress. People are keener to understand and learn and be respectful about other cultures. So whilst we talk lots of terrible things about race and that sort of stuff, I also see real green shoots of people being interested intrigued in a positive way and also I think there's I don't know what you think on this but I'd love to do these which is that I think a level of progress has to be when we're writing books which feature for mixed race lead characters but it's not about purely being a mixed race character in London you know? Harriet, I love it's you. About- I love you. That is exactly, <laughs> exactly what I wanted to do. Because as far I think yeah. the the things that are happening to Ron Casimian Boo could happen whether you're white, blue, green, or orange. It's just the mixed race thing is texture. Exactly. It's it's the background. It's the understanding. It's as you say the kind of the choices of those characters which are influenced by all of our backgrounds where we come from, but. I mean, I deeply identified with Ronke and her choice of men. I felt very strongly. I was like, I, I know those feelings, Ronke. I hear you. Um, but as I think, hopefully, I, d- I don't know, but I, hopefully the, one of the joys of reading actually is that what this means is you can pick up a book in any genre from any author and f- learn something, but also just enjoy the sheer process of it. I totally agree. And when we get to the stage where reading is colourblind and we don't have to have black books or white books or we're just reading a book that has characters, because certainly I can't speak for men, but as a woman, these things are universal. We all get pulled and pushed and tugs and we all have people telling us what we should be doing with our careers or our bodies or our hair or our reproductive organs. This is just a life thing. And I don't know about anybody else, but I know that me and my friends, we make terror 
terrible. That's a good thing about getting older. You start to make <laughs> slightly better choices or at least recognize your terrible choices. But I also think one of the things that was really important to me was to not write up. There's so many books that have ethnic characters that are based on struggle and it's all about pain and slavery and doom. And I'm not, but we're not a monolith. We don't all have that experience I'm I happen to be mi- middle class and I still you know so I, I couldn't write about pain because it wasn't something I could be authentic about so I think it's because other people have laid the groundwork that people like me can just come in and say right why can't we have a brown big little lies why can't we have a brown um, sex in the city because it's we're just the same as you guys we're, we're all one yeah, I mean, there's some great outfits and descriptions of outfits and dinners and life and just joy as well in the book that I really enjoyed. Can I ask you a little bit about kind of the writing process? Because obviously this is your yeah. first book and you had a full-time job at the time you were writing, is that right? You were I working? did, I was running my own agency, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah which it's is not hard. a small job. <laughs> not a small job. No, it's not a small <laughs> job and it's hard. I think... You have to be quite disciplined. You have to sort of try and write every day. Or if you're not writing every day, think about your book every day. So even if you're not actually putting words on paper, and because that word count, I mean, 80,000, 90,000 words, is this massive count when you first start? You know, you're at 250 and you think, I'll never, <laughs> ever get there. And even worse, when you get to 30,000 and you think, this has been so hard and I've worked so long and you're telling me I'm only a third of the way there. So it's a real <laughs> marathon, right? writing a book but I think and I did have notepads everywhere I had a notepad by my bed I had notes in the car when I took the dogs for walk in, walks in the morning I used to do voice notes to myself and the poor dogs are thinking oh, why has she stopped idea. in them oh it's so good I mean people think you're completely bonkers because you suddenly <laughs> stop and you get your phone out and you start dictating to yourself with this earnest strange expression on your face but it's brilliant and actually voice notes are better than notes because my handwriting is awful so I'd write these amazing, in-depth, inspirational ideas at three o'clock in the morning and I'd wake up and I'd, what on earth? <laughs> I'm trying to de- decipher my squiggles. So I'm a real voice notes are brilliant. And I think the trick is if you've got a busy life, which haven't we all even if it's 10 minutes of just I'm going to think about this character I'm going to think about things she could do I'm going to think about scenes where she could be or he could be I think it's persistence I love that idea I love that idea of actually well a the voice notes which I'm absolutely stealing it's brilliant because I have lots of thoughts when I'm out on my dog walk and then obviously I come back from my dog walk and they've all gone so absolutely (laughs) that's really clever but also just you know, if you've got an idea ruminating around in your head about a little scene, like just note that down. Just yeah. Talk it out to yourself. The other thing, and this really annoyed my husband, and it probably would have annoyed me if I was him, <laughs> is whenever we're watching telly, it's like, you know, let's watch Killing Eve, because I love Killing Eve. And I think Isabel had, I think Killing Eve had a little bit to do with Isabel. But anyway, we're sitting there watching telly, <laughs> and he's like, did you see what happened? I was like, well, no, because I was busy writing out a scene on my pad. or So I, I was only <laughs> half engaged with life for the six months it took to do my first draft, because half an ear was there, and the other half was thinking, ooh, how can I use that? Even when I was cooking, I'd be sitting there stirring away and I'd be thinking, well, how would Roncare do this? Or, you know, so I think it's trying to just stop live, stop living prop fully and have 20% of your life in the book at all times. 
eavesdropping is my other big thing. The, to get dialogue that actually sounds real, eavesdrop on people. And even if they're lucky, just write down little sentences or little things they've said, because the way people talk is so much better than writing how you think people talk. I'm terrible for that as well. I'm always, always eavesdropping on people. But other people's conversations so much more interesting. Can I ask you, when you are, you work for yourself, you're in your own agency, so you are sort of responsible for what you bring in, right? You're responsible for what you bring in. You're responsible for, actually, are we going to meet our targets this month? Are we going to hit our budget? Is it all going to be okay? How do you balance the kind of, that for me, so I'm obviously self-employed, and one of the biggest, I guess, interrupting thoughts I have when it comes to writing is, this is and this is a very harsh thought in my own head, this is a waste of time when you could be doing something that's going to earn you some money. What are you doing? Do you ever, did you ever feel that? And if so, how did you kind of cope? I certainly did. I think one of the qualifications of being a writer is to be plagued with self-doubt, to have an evil mind that keeps putting you down, <laughs> to have just be the, as negative as you can about yourself and you've done half the job. So there's definitely that. And there's also, if you tell people I'm writing a book, this, I don't know if it's just my friends that are nasty, which might explain, but it's like, oh, really? Are you? Oh, you think you can write a book, can you? And then even worse, yeah. how's that book going? And whenever they say, how's oh, that that's book the worst question because <laughs> it's almost always when you just hit a brick wall and you're really down to yourself the most and you think why did I ever tell anyone so I don't know I don't have a solution for those problems but I do think and I'm, and I'm not one of those um I'm not I, I'm not one of those people who talks about self-care a lot but I do think writing is self-care I do think doing something for yourself is an important so if you think of it as I've got to get this story out it's my story and I owe it to myself to get it out and obviously I still did the day job and I still delivered clients things relatively on time yeah. but you can cut <laughs> I think it's about carving out dog walks are perfect thinking time and there's something about being in the air and you know that really helps so I think it's about carving out even if it's 20 minutes a day and saying I'm worth it and my book is worth it and the more you fall in love with your characters the more you owe it to them you know I was sort of Simi, Boo and Ronka deserve to have their story told and I will do it if that's what <laughs> has to happen and of course you know it, the truth is being a writer is I mean it's utopia I still don't completely feel like one because it's also yeah. new and my book hasn't come out but if you could have asked me from when I was 20 my favourite job would be to be a writer so you owe it to yourself to try and you know carve that time oh, out boy. Yeah, and to smack those demons. <laughs> I like that, smack the demons. There is a little bit about kind of also just, I think, touching on what you said there, owing it to the younger self, which is like if somebody could ask you what your younger self, what their dream job is, and it would be to be able to sit in my cottage in the countryside and write my books and, <laughs> you know, take my dog for walks and <laughs> live the dream, basically. Exactly. Live the dream. Exactly. What? Of course, when you get there, you realise, oh my God, it's scary and it's frightening and now there's more pressure on book two, but don't worry about that bit, just write it. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, what has changed for you since, you tell me a little bit about that kind of sending this book out into the world and seeing, is anyone going to like it? Because it has, 
it had a pretty good reception, I think we could say. I mean, it was just mind-blowing, the reception, and totally unexpected, because the other thing is you read about, you know, how hard it is to finish a book, how hard yeah. it is to get an agent, how hard it is to get a deal. So you start off doubting yourself, and then you get all the facts on top that mean, even if you manage to get through the self-doubt, don't worry, there's lots of other obstacles in the way that are going to make it even harder. <laughs> but the one thing I would say is the writing community online is amazing they are so friendly so supportive so in terms of talking to people about how to query or how to develop your characters there's just so much free support and people happy to proofread chapters for you or beta read so what I did in my case was I through this online community found out about literary competitions which are for unpublished unagented amateurs which is exactly what I was people like me who think oh I don't know I'm not ready I didn't show my book to my mother I mean I didn't show it to anybody but I was quite happy to send it off for a few of these small competitions and I got long listed in a couple and then shortlisted in a couple and then I won one and you think well this is only the first three chapters so of course your negative self says the first three yeah. chapters might be okay but the rest of it is probably rubbish but then I just sort of thought query so I sent it out to um, a few agents just before lockdown actually and I was just exceptionally lucky sometimes you're just in the right time and you, what you've written just happens to be right for that moment because I got an agent within a week of sending out my um, query but I have to be I think the other thing is I did think of it as a job. I did think I'm going to make this as good as I can. And I'm so when I'd finished my first draft, I put it away, which is what they say you should do. And then I got it out and I read it and I read it as if I, I actually put it on a Kindle so I could read it as if I was reading somebody else's book rather than mine. And you, I thought to myself, would you actually turn the page? And there are places where I wouldn't. And there are places I thought, gosh, you're boring me or there are places where you think that's... So I think I did sort of look at it as this is work. This is obviously work I love doing and work that's close to me, but it's still work. So it was kind of how can you make this as good as it can be before you send it out for agents or whatever. So I think there's a sense of also being quite quite cold and detached from your writing when you've done it, if, if you can. I think that's really good advice, actually, really, because that's quite... When I say the word commercial, that's, that doesn't sound good, but oh, I think that's that is somebody the, who's worked for themselves, right? That's somebody who's yeah, worked for themselves. Totally, and gone, totally. Yeah. But also worked in advertising where you do what you yeah. think is the best possible idea that anyone in the whole world could ever have and a client tells you, <laughs> don't like it, it's rubbish. And you can't just say, burst into tears and say, I'm never talking to you again and you're wrong. You have to say, you say that inside, obviously, but then you go away and you do it again and you do it again. And sometimes people, it, I think I'm used to being edited. I'm used to clients making my work, in my opinion, worse. But usually at the end, it makes it better. So I, I, I think you have to get rid of that precious level you know there's yeah. some bits that editors will say you have to get rid of that and I stuck to my guns and I'm not I'm not explaining who fella Kuti is I don't care what you do so some, I think you have to have some <laughs> things that you will not change no matter what but I think generally you have to believe that people that there are ways of making your work better and really try to harness them for your own good it says in the book that it is now being made into a screenplay that's very exciting it's mental <laughs> 
like <laughs> are you doing that is somebody else doing that and what's that like changing what I guess is a kind of like changing your baby into something else how does it feel you know what I'm not writing the screenplay. They did ask if I wanted to think about writing the screenplay. And my first answer was no, no, and no. <laughs> Firstly, because it's writing a book is hard and it took so long and so much to learn to write a book that I just don't, I don't, I think there are people who could do it so much better. And I'm super lucky. Teresa Ikoko, who's BAFTA nominated yeah. for Rocks, is doing my screenplay. So it's like, wah! And it's going to be on the BBC, which even my dad is <laughs> excited about, even though I dropped out of medical. <laughs> school he's like it doesn't matter you're totally forgiven so it's amazing and so exciting and everybody's like oh, don't well, who's going to be cast and don't you have huge opinions and who's going to be in it and how are you going to feel if they change it and surprisingly well at the moment I, I just want I can't wait to sit down on a sofa and watch it and I just can't wait to see what they do with it so at the moment I'm it's like no incredible. and I tr- and I trust the team I've got Liz Kilgariff is the producer and she did Bodyguard and she did Luther and she did The Cry so all I know is they're oh, going to make it better and I'm going to end up thinking why didn't I write it <laughs> like that so that's my hope I mean it, that just like when you talk about it it's making me want to go and write because I'm so excited about writing a book that could become a screenplay. This is how I like to work. I'm like, what's the stupidly crazy big vision? <laughs> then oh, but I do that. think thinking, I think thinking of it as a screenplay, it depends, I suppose, how your brain works. But yeah. for me, it really helped to visualise a lot of the scenes as I was writing. And that's another thing. The dogs should really get the credit. They should get half my royalties because <laughs> on dog walks, I'd actually stop and sort of think, how would this look? And how would it, you know, how would it work if it was was on the screen and I think that can help you sort out your writing sometimes when you're doing a scene and you actually want to think where are they sitting and how are they in relation to each other and I think it can help make your writing clearer in your own head it's sort of if you can see what you're writing you're almost just writing it down rather than inventing it yeah I feel like I'm learning a lot on this call Dickie (laughs) how has your writing process changed from are you now you're now on the second book is this right yes yes book two how has your writing process changed from book one to book two it's become a million times harder (laughs) it Mm. is a nightmare because now that feels like this weight (laughs) of pressure and expectation and the imposter syndrome gets worse and the dead you now have a deadline so instead of just writing for yourself and thinking oh I'll do 2,000 words this week oh but I really fancy going out for Sunday lunch so let's make that 1,500 (laughs) so instead you've sort of got this tick tock tick tock so I would say it's I'd say it's actually harder writing book two and I've got to actually force myself I've I've got to be almost tougher on myself I'm writing slower than I did before I've got more doubt in what I'm writing than I did before so enjoy the first book Harriet (laughs) this is as good as it gets (laughs) it's all downhill from here (laughs) but even worse when I talk to writers who are on book four because that's the other good thing about once you write a book you start to talk to other people who have done this and have published and apparently it doesn't get easier apparently they're doing this at book four and book five so so I don't I don't know why we're doing this maybe take up pottery (laughs) 
One of the things that I'm, I'm really delighted about and is essentially also on my days where I feel like I don't really want to do this, this is a bad idea and I need to find a way out of it, which is hard once you've told everyone you're doing it. Um, yes. One of the things I come back to is the writer's community is so lovely. It and I write online. Lovely. Oh, it's so nice. I write with a lovely online group called London Writers Salon. And every morning they do a Zoom call. I, I big them up all the time. They're so amazing. Sorry, my dog has interrupted the interview. Oh, luckily. No, don't be silly. Um, oh. But <laughs> so she likes to be involved. I write with London Rice Salon and the, simply the act of being with other people who are doing the same thing is really Absolutely. heartwarming. Have you found and that? I honestly cannot... I sound like a, a lovey, softy person, and I'm not. You can tell by my writing. I'm a hardcore bitch. But the writing community are just lovely. I've got people I've never met who have been cheerleaders, supporters, tear wipers. It's just, and, and there's this whole sense of camaraderie and also happiness for you. You know, there's no sort of, oh, you've got a deal, it's not fair. It's genuine joy. And, and I have to admit, it's made me a better person. You know, I now feel that I'm helping cheering friends that I've been with along the way, and I'm happy to be to read their work. And we even do things like set each other little deadlines and chase it, you know, I'll send you an email at 12 o'clock to make sure you've done it. And, you know, it's sort of, I can't, I honestly think there could, being a writer must make you a better person because writers are just lovely. And I'm saying this in advertising where honestly people aren't as lovely as this. <laughs> if you had one piece of advice for a first time writer who's just getting started, what would it be? What would you tell read. them? Read, read. And then when you finish reading, read some more, read widely, read out of your genre, read books you'd never read, read books you love again, read books that are so up here that you think I'll never be good enough. And when you're feeling bad, read books that are really, really shit so that you know that you're better than that. Just keep reading and try the pro I have to be honest it's you start to enjoy reading a little bit less maybe because you're looking in between the lines for the tricks and how they've done this and the devices and there are devices and you start to understand point of view and you know first person third person things that I didn't know existed two years ago but my biggest advice is read and I honestly think reading a bit of crap now and again is a really good way to feel good about yourself and I recommend it wholeheartedly everybody's crap is I different you know that. we all think this is great <laughs> and this isn't but sometimes read things you think are rubbish yeah I love that that's brilliant advice Nikki, it's been so lovely talking to you. I've really loved it. Thank you. I feel super inspired after this chat. I genuinely really do. I'm so oh, I'm going to go right this afternoon. Thank you so much. If anyone else wants to be just inspired by your enthusiasm for writing and sheer joy, where can people find you online? Can they come talk to you online? I'm on Twitter at Nikki O. May. So come and find me there. And I'm on Insta at Nikki May Writer. And I'm love talking about books other people's in particular and I love talking about writing so <laughs> find me there let's talk I love that thank you and uh Wahala which is honestly so much fun is out in January and it's just it's just a great page Turner it's a great page Turner I really loved it I heartily recommend it I think it's going to be really good for kind of 
cold January afternoons where you want to sit on the sofa under a rug with like a really good book and not talk to anyone for about four hours. That's the sort of, that's the mood and book you need. (laughs) Nikki, thank you so much. Thank you, Harriet. I've been a huge admirer from Badass, so thank you for having me. That was the brilliant Nikki May. Her debut novel, Wahala, is out in January and it's a cracking read. And I also cannot wait for the BBC adaptation. Yes, please. Now, onto our creativity booster of the week. This idea comes from Elizabeth Gilbert, author of Eat, Pray, Love and City of Girls. If you don't follow Elizabeth on social media, then what are you doing, really? She finds beauty and joy in the toughest of times and it's like having a really wise best friend. A few years ago, she ran a writing workshop with Cheryl Strayed of Wild Fame and author of my favourite Agony Aunt column, Dear Sugar, which is also a must-read. The attendees were set a series of letters to write, such as a letter to their future selves or a letter to their fear, but I thought, given how guilty I'm feeling about not getting on with my writing this week, the following would be a good place to start. The task is simple. Write a letter to your creativity. You start it with dear creativity and then you can just see what comes from there or if you need some prompts some stuff to write about some ideas you could go for dear creativity I'm really proud of you for or it's okay that or we never really talked about you're scared of my favorite thing about you is have you noticed that you Maybe pick one of those and start there and see what comes. Or you could just work your way through the list or you can totally freestyle it. But the idea is we're writing a letter to our creativity. Dear creativity. Let me know how you get on on social media and if you want to share yours with me, I'd love to see them. I promise I will do the same. You might have seen that I've actually shared some of my writing over the last couple of weeks. It is scary. It's really scary. If you want to have a look, you can find me at Harriet Minter, where I'll be sharing everything I write from our little creativity boosters on my page. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week with another amazing author here on A Truth Universally Acknowledged. <laughs>